Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun, Welcome NASCAR in, icon yeah, Dale six. Earnhardt Jr. So Kirk Herbstreet is podcast. on the phone. America, Andrew Sports Podcast. It we. is Monday, yeah. October seventeenth, oh, two thousand twenty-two. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is one of those Mondays where we got ourselves a lot to talk about. I'm going to open. Obviously, you already know. You already know. I'm going to open with Tennessee, Alabama. The Tennessee perspective, this win was 15 years in the making. Also, from the Alabama perspective, What is going on with that program and what needs to be fixed so this team can ultimately reach their goals? Because we now have about a two-year sample size that says this is not the Bama program that we have known for the 15 or so years of the Nick Saban era. From there, we are going to transition to the other top 25 matchup, Michigan destroying Penn State. Is Michigan actually maybe a little bit better than last year? Is Penn State, what is going on with them? All the James Franklin critics had plenty of ammo on Saturday. And then we'll wrap with just some other odds and ends. Utah beating USC, what that means. Uh, LSU taking care of Florida. Kentucky taking care of Mississippi State. Arkansas, BYU. Uh, TCU, how about them Horned Frogs? How about Syracuse? How about Illinois? Fun show, quick show, in and out. I will say, by the way, we got some big, College Hoops recruiting news on Friday. Aaron Bradshaw, great name, by the way. He did commit to Kentucky. We'll talk about that on Tuesday's show. This just felt like a Monday show. Aaron Torres pod, middle of college football. So we are going to stick with football today. Aaron Bradshaw and recruiting news in basketball on Tuesday's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. A couple quick announcements before we get started. One, first of all, I hope the sound quality of today's show is better. So a lot of you have commented since we went to YouTube, that the sound quality has not been as good. I have heard your comments. I have heard your conversation behind the scenes. I've been working for weeks to try and figure this out. We got ourselves a new mic. It sounds much better to me. But please follow up with me at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter or whatever. Let me know what you think uh, because I think it's going to sound a lot better going forward. This is a process like everything else. I am always learning always trying to put out the best product that I can. So I appreciate your patience with that. But I do think this show should and will sound much better going forward. Uh, Also, let's get to the important stuff. I want to thank and I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook. Listen, I've told you all about Betfred. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 1,600 shops in the UK. They have come to the US in a big way. Uh, And what I love about them, they do more for their betters than anybody else in the market. This is why I love working with them. I have told you about them. We got some of our listeners VIP tailgate tickets to the Broncos game a few weeks ago on Thursday night. Obviously the Cincinnati Bengals bet Fred is the presenting sponsor of them as well. We'll get you set up with some of those Ohio. Some of you Ohio listeners will get you set up at a Bengals game. Um, Colorado Rockies, all sorts of good stuff with Betfred, they do more for their listeners than air for their uh, betters and customers than anybody else. By the way, how about the AT Betfred boost with Tennessee? Got you a lot of money on Saturday. And I should mention, as always, they do have a great deal for first-time users right now. Bet 250 on any game 
including tonight's Monday night game against uh, Denver at Los Angeles. The Chargers get 250 in free bets. That also works for any college game this coming weekend, for any NFL game next Sunday. Bet 50, get 250 in free bets. So thank you to Betfred Sportsbook. Also, thank you to Bracket Fanatics, who is the sponsor of our NFL Pick'em Challenge. By now, you know the deal. We're giving out $100 weekly winning cash prizes, $1,000 season-long cash prize. If you have already entered, congratulations. We will announce our week six winner on Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Congrats to our week five winner, Decade of Dysfunction. He is a Tennessee fan, so he had a great, great, great week. One hundred bucks from Bracket Fanatics and also... Uh, Tennessee pulled off that upset, but here's the deal with the bracket fanatics, uh, NFL pick'em challenge. If you have not signed up hundred dollar weekly cash prizes, thousand dollar season long cash prize free to enter. All you got to do bracketfanatics.com, join bracket Torres is the name of the bracket. Just pick every single game on the slate winner, loser. That's all you got to do. You were automatically entered to win a hundred dollars season, uh, weekly cash prize a $1,000 season-long cash prize courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll tell you this. There are some Mondays where we lead the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast and there's really two, three, four things that we could talk about to lead the show. Today is not one of those days. Today is not where we question where we start. And today is not scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to come up with content. Instead, we all know where we're going to start. Knoxville, Tennessee, top 10 matchup, Tennessee hosting Alabama in Knoxville. Great all-time rivalry. Alabama coming in on a little ho-hum 15-game winning streak. Last time, Tennessee won 2006. And we all saw what happened Saturday in Knoxville as Tennessee just a thrilling, unbelievable, inconceivable 52-49 to victory beating Alabama again for the first time in 2006, since 2006. And it's funny, right? Because usually when I, I lead these opening segments, what I try to do is I, I, I tell you, you know, what we're going to start with. And then I try to go to two, three, four key plays or key storylines coming out of the game. Last week, Texas A&M, Alabama, we broke down that final play. Why I didn't blame Jimbo Fisher for the play call as much as the execution from the team. Well, today, when it comes to Tennessee, Alabama, we are not going to be breaking down all the marquee plays in this game because what I can tell you is if you really think about this game, uh, there was probably 50 plays that you felt like in the moment completely swung the game. And so we're not going to do all that, but what I would say is this was just a classic all-time back-and-forth game. Tennessee goes up 28-10. to 10. Alabama, to its credit, and they were not very good early, and we're going to talk about Alabama in a minute. They rally. They tie it up at 28. At one point, it's a back-and-forth thing. Tennessee misses an extra point. We think it's going to matter, but they convert the two-point conversion, so it doesn't matter late in the game. And this is the game, the play where I think we all thought, oh, Tennessee's in trouble. They're screwed. Tied 42-42. Alabama has just scored to tie the game. Tennessee backed up against its own goal line. Fumbles recovered by Alabama. They're up 49-42. to and we think, oh, it's over. Oh, those Vegas Sharps that, that had this game as Alabama winning by a touchdown, they're exactly right. Instead, to its credit, Tennessee rallies. They score. They hold Alabama to a field goal attempt. Now, we're going to talk about the Alabama play calling in a minute because it was not very good. But they hold Alabama to a field goal attempt. Alabama missed the field goal. To its credit, Tennessee gets the ball back. They're aggressive. They don't play for overtime in the final seconds. They get in field goal range. Kick goes up. Kick is wobbly, kick is good, and as I just said, Tennessee beats Alabama for the first time since 2006. I know I've said it a few times, but it is inconceivable. And so in the bigger picture, this is what I want to do now because a lot of times when I lead a show with a big win, a big loss, a big this, a big that, one thing that I do is I generally talk about the ramifications in the moment and in the bigger picture for that specific team, right? Well, this result happened, and this means that this team is now a playoff contender, that this team is now out of the playoff picture, that this team needs to fire its coach, that this team should hire this guy. I don't want to do that with Tennessee because I do think those are important conversations to have about Tennessee. What this win means for the SEC East race, for the SEC title race, for the playoff picture. 
And those are conversations that we can have over these next two to three weeks as they have a big game against Kentucky in a few weeks. Uh, Kentucky will be coming off a bye. That can be a spoiler-type game for Kentucky. And, of course, if Tennessee survives that, then it's kind of a winner. Basically, it's essentially a winner-take-all SEC game, SEC East game against Georgia the week after that. So we have time to talk about all that. But that's not what I want to talk about today, because I don't think that's what any Tennessee fan is talking about today. And I don't claim to be a Tennessee fan, but I am a fan of college football. I am a fan of college sports. I've been following this stuff religiously for close to 25 years. And I think what this conversation today, it's not about the the, the big picture. What does it all mean for this season and for the next 10 years of Tennessee football? I think for Tennessee fans today, even Monday, even as you listen, we're talking a full, what, 36 hours after the game went final at about 7.30 Eastern on Saturday. I think for Tennessee fans, it really is about enjoying this moment, a moment that I think even non-Tennessee fans, we all wondered if this would ever come. And the crazy thing about Tennessee, so I know I've said it three, four times now, first time since 2006 that Tennessee has beaten Alabama. And I think for the outsiders or for our younger listeners, I think it's it, it's easy to forget how good Tennessee had it going. Um, and frankly, the, the fact that this was a really, really good program, really in the context of college football, relatively recently. I mean, even the year that this streak started, the 2007 loss to Alabama, Tennessee won the SEC East and played LSU in the SEC title game to obviously go to a big bowl game, right? LSU ends up winning. They end up winning the national championship. But Tennessee played LSU tougher in the SEC title game than Ohio State did in the national championship game. And so we're talking about 2007, and I know for our 18, 19, 21, 24, 26-year-old listeners, that feels like a lifetime ago. But it really wasn't. And so to fully understand why this win was so big, it's not just the 15-game losing streak for the University of Tennessee against Alabama. It's really about everything that has happened since. Think about, just just, just take a second to think about everything that has happened for Tennessee football since the day that this streak started, okay? Phil Fulmer, forced out. And I'm not going to go through a huge history lesson, but I think you need to fully understand why this win was, the magnitude of this win. Phil Fulmer forced out. You bring in this hot, you know, hot. You bring in this hot shot young head coach in Lane Kiffin straight off the NFL. First year actually goes well. I think it's easy to forget with Lane Kiffin. First year, he beats Georgia. He beats South Carolina when South Carolina was good. He plays Alabama down to the wire. He plays Florida tough. And then he leaves in the cloak of darkness to go to USC. You bring in Derek Dooley. That doesn't work. You bring in Butch Jones. There's like a half a second where things look like they're going in the right direction. And then they immediately bottom out. You have the Greg Schiato situation, which lasted a day and a half. You have, obviously, Jeremy Pruitt coming in. The Jeremy Pruitt situation's a disaster. You have uh, Jeremy Pruitt being fired, NCAA sanctions, which we've actually talked about, three and seven season. And what I would say is you think about all of those things, starting with, with Phil Former being let go, Lane Kiffin, NCAA sanctions, Jeremy Pruitt, whatever. And what I can say and where I sympathize with Tennessee fans, I know there's a lot of, you know, 13 other fan bases in the SEC that probably don't like Tennessee. But why I sympathize with Tennessee is because when you're at the top, when you win a title in 98, when you're playing for an SEC title as recently as 2007, and you go sideways, I think there's always a concern that it'll never come back. And I'll use a perfect uh, an example from my personal life, Okay. I'm a UConn fan, right? Grew up in Connecticut, went to UConn. And why I bring it up, I've been blessed, right? I mean, I've seen, I hate to brag, I've seen four national championships in basketball in my lifetime. But after the 2014 season, it cratered out under Kevin Ollie, three straight losing seasons for UConn men's basketball. And you sit there as a fan and wonder, is it ever going to happen again? What, What if it never gets back to the way it was? And I think that's where Tennessee fans have gotten over the last couple of years. We let we get we let rid of we got rid of Phil Fulmer. We thought we had the guy in Kiffin. It didn't work out, and it's just been one after another after another. The wrong hire, the wrong hire, the wrong hire. And so to go through all of that, and then to have a moment like you did on Saturday, you can understand why there were Tennessee fans crying on the field. Why my guy Jackson, who runs the Torres on Vols account, was smoking a cigar with his dad in the backyard after that game for the first time in his life, he was smoking a cigar with his dad. 
it was because of that moment. It was because of the 15 years of frustration. And I will take it a step further from the Tennessee perspective. I do think that it's not just that you beat ten, uh, beat Alabama. I think you had to beat out for, for this to feel the way that it did. I think you had to beat Alabama under these exact circumstances. And what do I mean by that? Listen, when you are, when you beat a rival of yours, it always feels good, right? doesn't matter football, baseball, basketball, SEC, big 10, big 12, doesn't matter. But for everything, for all of the demons, for everything to be lifted off your shoulders, it had to happen like this. It couldn't be in a year where Tennessee was four and three and they just, everything broke right. You know, almost like what happened with A&M last year with, 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 with Alabama. Like A&M beats Alabama last year and it feels good in that moment, but they weren't able to capitalize and build off the momentum of beating Alabama. Now we'll see if Tennessee does, but I do think that matters. The fact that Alabama is really good, right? I mean, if you're a Tennessee fan and you're 6-0 and this year, but Alabama is 4-2 and and for the first time under Saban, there's major cracks, then you're starting to sit there and say, it, it's great, we're happy, but it doesn't feel the same. I'll take it a step further. If Bryce Young had not only not played, but if he had played and it was clear that he wasn't 100%, I think it feels different if you're a Tennessee fan. Instead, Bryce Young, I would argue, played the best game of his career. That guy was unbelievable, and we're going to talk about it from the Bama perspective momentarily. But Bryce Young plays. He plays like a Heisman Trophy winner. He takes a million big shots, and we'll talk about the refs and all that stuff later. Stop with the refs, Alabama fans. But Bryce Young is a warrior. Bryce Young plays the game of his life. Alabama has a lead 49 to 42 and you rally and you win and you beat Alabama under Nick Saban when they're undefeated and potentially now have put their season on the brink. But more importantly for you, it's like, oh my God, we not only beat Alabama, they came to our house under our circumstances. We played our style and we were just on this day better. So congratulations to Tennessee fans. Listen, I I don't think you, I I know, again, I understand people in the SEC don't like Tennessee. I get that. But if you are just a fan of anybody, we've all had that moment as a fan where it all comes together and all feels so good. Um, For Kentucky fans, I think it was probably that John Wall game at Madison Square Garden against my UConn Huskies. For my UConn Huskies, you know, we've had a few of them. Maybe the the Kemba year was the year that that stands out the most. you know, I'm just trying to think. I, I I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head. But where everything that's gone wrong for so long, it feels so good. And it feels like I'm just telling you, be happy for Tennessee fans. Let them have their moment, unless you're an Alabama fan when you're frustrated, which we're going to get to Bama in a second. But what I would say is we also, from the Tennessee perspective, we do have to talk about it from the 30,000-foot view. We do have to talk about it for what it means. Because, again, this win was special. It was great, but what's great about it for Tennessee fans is you get the two, three-day hangover from beating Alabama, but then you can look ahead to what the rest of the season provides, right? And it would be so different if this was a game where, again, you were four and three and Alabama was six and oh, and that is your season and there's no real way to build off it. But now, in theory, it's just the beginning. Now, from the Tennessee perspective, what Saturday confirmed is a couple things. One, the quadruple H. Hendon Hooker Heisman hype is freaking real, baby. Okay. Hendon Hooker Heisman hype is real. This guy is your Heisman leader. I don't know exactly what the Bedfred Sportsbook says if he is the favorite right now. It's no disrespect to CJ Stroud. It's no disrespect, by the way, to Bryce Young, who was unbelievable. But Hendon Hooker should be your leader. 70% completion percentage. Um, 15 touchdowns, one interception this year, and plays his best in the biggest moments. By the way, Tennessee has four wins against teams that were ranked in the top 25 when they played them at Pitt, Florida at home, at LSU, at Bama. And so I'm just sitting here telling you, that guy should be your Heisman favorite right now. And what a great story that guy is, right? And that's kind of the story of Tennessee, right? Beat up, beat down, left for dead. Um, Hendon Hooker was. Couldn't get the starting job at Virginia Tech for some strange reason. Somebody's going to have to explain that bad boy to me. Uh, Comes to Tennessee, isn't given the starting job there, gets it anyway, earns it, and now he's your Heisman favorite. I think he's going to end up as a first-round pick in the NFL draft. You you heard it here on October 16th on the Aaron Torres podcast. I really feel like he's going to be a a first-round pick. And also, most importantly, you know he's got his team in position to win a championship. The Josh Heupel stuff, listen, we've talked about it 
I don't need to re- go through it two, three, four times. I've talked about it a lot. But what this guy's done is so unbelievable. And his story, too, and this is something I haven't talked about, probably needs to be talked about a little bit more. Remember, this was the guy that was the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley was hired. And he got let go by his alma mater because he wasn't believed to be good enough. Has to go to Utah State. Has to go to Missouri. Gets a job at UCF. And now he's at Tennessee. Inherits a program that lost 30-plus players to the transfer portal, that was coming off a 3-7 and seven season, and in what? What are we talking about now? He got hired in January of 2021. It's November, October of 2022. What is that? I'm not great at math. That's 17 months, something like that. Tennessee's number three in the country, as I record here. Unbelievable. And finally, what I would say from the Tennessee perspective is, I don't think today is about talking playoff and SEC title and this and that. What I do think, though, and what I truly do believe is it is a conversation that we're going to have to have here on the Aaron Torres pod over the next few weeks because it's all on the table for Tennessee. They play UT Martin this week. They still have Kentucky at home. And then, of course, the big one against Georgia. And that's going to tell us everything we need to know. Tennessee right now is almost in the perfect position. They're 6-0. and I would argue most of the tougher games on the schedule are behind them. Now, Kentucky's still tough. Kentucky just beat the brakes off of Mississippi State with Will Levis back in the lineup on Saturday. That isn't going to be easy. Georgia's obviously going to be really tough, but everything's still ahead for you. You can play for an SEC East title if you beat Georgia and Kentucky. I'd take it a step further. If you beat Georgia, or if you lose to Georgia, but you beat everybody else, and you're sitting at 11-1 and to end the season with wins over Bama, Kentucky, this, that, you're going to have a pretty compelling case for a playoff berth as an at-large. And oh, by the way, even if you don't make the playoff, and I know that's the goal, and I know national championship is the goal. I mean, if I told you Tennessee fans 11-1 and one in Sugar Bowl in, year, in this year, you would have been over the moon. So listen, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but for Tennessee, it was an incredible night and an incredible moment. I'm happy for the fans. It was just everything that was right about college football. Fans on the field, cigars being smoked by players, by coaches, by the AD, by parents with sons. It was just everything. It was everything that was great about college football. Congratulations to Tennessee. Uh, You are the best story in college football. You have the National Coach of the Year right now. You have the Heisman Trophy winner right now. And oh, by the way, you have a team that's good enough to make a playoff berth and maybe win a national championship. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's switch gears and talk about the other side of things. That is, of course, the Alabama perspective. Uh, and, and a few different things. I want to look at this. I, I want to be fair. I want to credit Alabama. I want to also really talk about some of the concerns that have popped up because I think they are at as much of a, an interesting inflection point as a program as I can remember in a long time. And no, I'm not going to do the, the the dynasty is dead stuff with Bama. That's not what I'm going to do at all here over the next few week, a few minutes. But what I would say is I think there's one to two maybe positives you can take out from that game 
I also do think, by the way, um, there's quite a bit of negatives, quite a bit of concerns, and we just got to try and figure out what is going on with this team. First of all, what I would say is, is that Bryce Young played his absolute heart out, okay? Bryce Young was an absolute warrior in that game. Bryce Young played maybe the best game of his career when you consider everything, because just think about it. Coming into the game, we weren't even sure if Bryce Young was going to be able to play. And even if he did, we kind of assumed, you know what? Even if he plays, he ain't going to be at 100%. He's going to be limited. It's going to be on Jameer Gibbs. It's going to be on the defense. I know Bryce Young was not only 100%, he was otherworldly. So credit to Bryce Young. And when I look at the Alabama game, listen, I know Alabama fans want to blame the refs and everything like that. Um, We're not going to do that here. But what I will say is instead of blaming the refs, let's look at Alabama realistically. Let's think about all the things that went wrong and the fact that they still had a chance to win late. This was a team that fell down 21-0. This is a team that gave up 21 first quarter points. Or they didn't fall down 21-0, but they gave up 21 first quarter points. This was a team that gave up 28 first half points. This is a team that had a weird situation on special teams that led to a Tennessee score. This is a team that had terrible play calling down the stretch from Bill O'Brien, which we're going to talk about in a minute, and still had a chance to kick a field goal to take the lead with under a minute to go. So you think about all those things. And you think about the fact that despite all that, you lose on a walk-off last-second field goal. I think that's the important part to remember about Alabama right now. The season's not over. You lost to Texas A&M last October, still won an SEC West title, still won an SEC championship, still went to the playoff, still played for a national championship. So I don't believe the dynasty is dead. I don't believe it's crumbling. I don't believe Nick Saban's lost his fastball. But what I will say I don't think is indisputable. I think the mystique around this particular group of Alabama players and coaches is gone. I don't think they're feared. And there's just something that doesn't appear to be clicking. Because it'd be one thing if you lose to a top 10 Tennessee team on the road. That happens in college football every week. Good teams beat other good teams, especially when they're playing at home. But this is really a two-year sample size that something is just not quite right with Alabama. They're not terrible. The program isn't falling apart. But think about everything that we've talked about on this show over the last two years. Two losses, even on the road, as heavy favorites. Tennessee on Saturday, Texas A&M last year. Last year, two-point win on the road against Florida for a team that ultimately fired its head coach, Dan Mullen, and you see with Billy Napier how far behind they really fell under Dan Mullen last year. This was a team that last year as well, four overtimes they needed to beat a bad Auburn team that was falling apart. Uh, you know, 20 to 14 was the final score against an LSU team that had already fired Coach O and he was coaching as a lame duck. This year, one point win against Texas on the road. Last second win against Texas A&M that came down to the wire when Texas A&M isn't good in playing their backup quarterback. So we can spare the conversation about the dynasty is dead. But what we can say is, again, the mystique is gone. The fear of other teams is gone. And I also think that, again, there's just something not clicking with this team. And what's especially interesting to me is we start to transition to what's wrong, how does it get fixed? I don't think we have an answer. You know why I don't think we have an answer? Because Nick Saban has been telling us since last year his concerns about this team, and he's brought it up again and again and again and again and again. And these are things that we talked about on this show last week and really the last couple weeks. Prior to the Arkansas game, he talked about wanting hateful competitors. In other words, he didn't think his players were mentally as locked in as they needed to be. This past week, he started, he talked about, um, you know, we have to eliminate losing decisions before we can worry about winning. And so when I look at this team, how do we fix what's wrong? I don't think we know because the greatest coach in the history of college football can't figure it out. But what I will say is I do think there are three things that are very clearly going on to me in terms of why this Alabama, just something's not right. Again, not saying the season can't be salvaged, but something is not right with this team. One, it's just a complete lack of on-the-field discipline. Now, what I'm going to say is not a reflection on the 85 guys in the locker room, who they are as people. But on the field, this is the most undisciplined Alabama team that I can ever remember under Nick Saban. And by the way, that's not just my opinion, it's facts. I told you coming in on Friday, I said why I liked Alabama to win or why I like Tennessee to win. Excuse me. 117th in turnover margin, Alabama, 118th in penalties. 
And while the turnover stuff was okay on Saturday, they did have the muff punt. That's not very Alabama-like where they're just completely lost on special teams. But then the penalties, the penalties. This isn't a uh, – listen to these stats. Alabama finished the game with 17 penalties. 17 penalties against Tennessee. So for the Alabama fans that want to blame the refs, how about you start by blaming 17 penalties for 130 yards? You gave Tennessee 130 extra yards in this game. That is not what you want to do against the best offense in college football, okay? And it'd be one thing if it was one game, one Saturday, one loud crowd. Alabama had 15 penalties against Texas, which was a Saban high. In other words, the most penalties they've ever had under Nick Saban. They get 17 on Saturday, and they have 10 against Arkansas. So I'm not great at math, but that's 25, 10 plus 15 is 25, plus another 17 is 42 penalties in three road games this year. I don't care if you're coached by Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin, pick the worst coach you think in college football. Who's the worst coach, coach that you can imagine? doesn't matter who you're coached by. If you have 42 penalties in three road games, you're not going to win. That's not very well coached. And I do wonder, by the way, if part of this is on the coaching staff. Now, I'm going to give Nick Saban a pass because he's been doing it for 40-plus years. But when I look, and he's been doing it at a really high level for 40-plus years, and I think that's important. But when I look at this team, something does stand out. I think last year when we tried to figure out, okay, is Alabama something not quite right with this team, whatever, what we talked about a lot was the loss of talent and leadership and accountability in that locker room um, to the NFL. This was last year I'm talking about when they lost Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, uh, Jalen Waddell, Najee Harris, on and on and on and on and on. I thought that was the problem this year. This year, I do wonder if it is the overall lack of, you know, just the, the, the talent drain, not from the player perspective, but the coaching perspective, because I think we can now pretty clearly see Nick Saban has had an incredible eye and an incredible ability to develop really good coaches inside that building. Kirby Smart has the number one team in the country right now in Georgia. I don't even know if they're number one or number two in the polls, but whatever, who cares? Um, Lane Kiffin is doing unbelievable things at Ole Miss. Steve Sarkeesian, Texas jokes, whatever. Steve Sarkeesian's awesome. Jeremy Pruitt, as a defensive coordinator, was great. He was a mess as a head coach, but he was great. And so let's talk about the Alabama coaching for a second. I thought it was a very bad day for both coordinators on Saturday. First of all, from the offensive coordinator perspective, Bill O'Brien, I know it's hard to like really go in on Bill O'Brien when they have 500 whatever yards of total offense, 570 yards of total offense. But when I look at the co the situation with the offensive coordinator, I do think if you were paying close attention, especially late, I thought Bill O'Brien largely let the team down. Remember, Alabama gets the ball back, tie game, late. They're just trying to get in field goal range and chew up as much clock as they can. Get in field goal range, kick a field goal. If you miss it, you go to overtime. If you hit it, you win the game. Going to get the ball back. They run 10 plays total. Nine of them were passes, okay? Nine of them were passes. Now, I understand at a certain point you have to get enough yardage to get into field goal range, but once you're in field goal range, he threw three straight passes. One was a complete, two were incompletes, which allowed Tennessee to keep two timeouts. Then you missed the field goal. And then, of course, um, Tennessee gets the ball back with timeouts, and a strange thing happens. They get in field goal range. They kick the field goal. They kick the game winner. Don't think it was a great day for Bill O'Brien, and I don't think this offense has really clicked in the same way since Steve Sarkeesian left. From the defensive perspective, I mean, it speaks for itself, right? I mean, I'm not X's and O's guy. I'm not X's and O's guy. But what I will say, when, they're when Tennessee is basically running wide open, uncontested, especially early, I mean, I understand that coaches script plays early and there's adjustments and all that. I mean, you knew Tennessee's offense like to throw the ball, right? You know their splits are really wide, right? You know they like to run across the middle, right? So I don't think it was a great day for Pete Golding as well. And so you have a group, you know, you have a situation where um, the coaching, I, I don't think, has been great. And finally, what I would say is, again, I do think there's some disconnect between the players and the coaches and Nick Saban in that locker room. I'm not there every day. I don't know it. And like I said, two things. One, I'm not saying any individual person in that locker room is a bad person. Not the head coach, 
not the coordinators, not the, the position coaches, not the GAs, not the, the staff, not the players. But there's a clear disconnect, right? Nick Saban is the greatest ever to do this, and he's been doing it for uh, at a high level for really for, for about 40 years now. And the fact that this is the, t- the team that on the field is the most undisciplined, the most penalized, doesn't force turnovers, and they're just not getting the message. It doesn't mean the kids are bad kids, but there is some kind of disconnect with this team. Now, what I would wrap by saying, I do think there's the one big positive for Alabama is what we already talked about, is the season's still ahead. The season is still ahead, and everything that you need, everything that you want to control, you control. You control your SEC West destiny. You control your path to the SEC title game, to the playoff, and once you get there to win. And the other thing is the talent's there, right? Three straight top two recruiting classes. Their 2021 class before Texas A&M last year was the highest rated recruiting class ever. Um, And there's talent in that locker room. Look at an NFL draft board. Look at recruiting rankings. The talent is there. The schedule is there. The opportunity is there. And like I said, you didn't lose to Texas A&M in October late last year and still rallied to get to reach all of your goals short of winning a national championship. But I will say this was an Alabama team that coming in, I think we all thought had a chance to be an all-time great type team. Right now, it's not it, and it's not even close. All right, so what I want to do, I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. We will hit on that Michigan-Penn State game. As right as I was on Tennessee, whoo, did I get it wrong on Michigan? We'll talk about Michigan, what this win means for them, what the loss means for Penn State. We'll take a quick break. Be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, let's switch gears. And let's talk about another top 10 matchup in college football. Because we already talked Alabama and Tennessee. We talked about everything that was great about that game. Why we It makes us why we love college football. Pomp, circumstance, intrigue, down to the wire, good plays, bad plays, mistakes, final play, field goal, fans rushing the field, tears on the field. That was everything we love in college football. Penn State, Michigan was the exact opposite. Penn State went to Michigan, number 10 in the country. Michigan ranked in the top five, coming off a Big Ten championship in college football playoff appearance. We thought we were going to get a close game, or at least I did. Instead, we got a butt-kicking of epic proportions. Final score in this one, 41-17. to And it's going to sound crazy. It could have been a lot worse than it actually was. Michigan could have won by a lot bigger of a margin than they actually did. So let's talk about this, and let's talk about what it means for both programs, Michigan and Penn State. First of all, you know, it's funny, right? Listen, one thing about this show, you can like me, you can dislike me, you can whatever. I own my L's, though. And so while I told you exactly how Tennessee, Alabama was going to go down on Friday's show, I was just a billion percent wrong on this. But most of it, I, I, you know, I, I came to the wrong, I got the wrong answer, but my logic at least made sense, right? Because think about Penn State coming into this game and think about what Michigan does really well. Michigan is just tough and physical and they want to run the ball right at you and they want to limit their sophomore quarterback. And so you looked at this matchup on paper. You said Penn State can give them problems. Penn State has an elite defense. They've always been great on defense under James Franklin. The offense has been up and down. Always been great on defense. And this year, the run defense 
was especially good. So Michigan, a team that wants to run the ball, they Michigan, you know, Jim Harbaugh would like to, to run the ball 70 times and throw the ball zero if it was completely up to him. So now you're going up against a top top, top five rush defense in college football in Penn State. You are facing a Penn State team that is giving up on average 80 yards per game and two and a half yards per carry across the season. Those are top five stats across college football, period. SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, whatever. On top of that, Penn State is coming off of a bye, which you know how I feel about buys. I think it's important. I think it's always important to look at the calendar. Penn State's coming in refreshed. They have the exact kind of personnel that's supposed to give Michigan fits. Uh, yeah, that did not happen at all. You want to know how bad Michigan... Listen, this was just one of the all-time butt kickings that I've ever seen, okay? So here is how bad Michigan beat Penn State on Saturday, okay? I just told you a minute ago. Michigan, or Penn State, excuse me, was giving up an average of 80 yards per game rushing and two and a half yards per carry. Michigan in this game, had 418 yards rushing, and they also had seven and a half yards per carry, 7.6 yards per carry to be exact. This is the stat that blows me away, okay? Penn State was giving up an average of 80 yards per game on the ground. Michigan had not one, but two players who doubled that total. Blake Corum, their potential uh, Heisman Trophy candidate, he finished this game with on the ground, a total of 166 yards and two touchdowns. And oh, by the way, his teammate, Donovan Edwards, oh, a little ho-hum, 173 yards, 10.8 yards per carry, two touchdowns as well. So a Penn State team that was giving up 80 yards total rushing per game gave up 166 to Blake Corum and 173 more to Donovan Edwards. This was domination, and as I said, that 41 to 17 final score, it could have been much worse. Michigan's first five possessions. How about this? Their first five possessions in the first half, they were held to one touchdown, three field goals, and they had a weird play where JJ McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback, dropped back, threw a pass. It hit off of a Penn State player, then off of another player's helmet into the hands of a different player who returned it for a touchdown. So if you just take out that one single play, it's a 41-10 win, and if one or two of those field goals becomes touchdowns in the first half, which it easily could have been, we're talking about a 40-plus point win for Michigan. And so with Michigan, I'll just tell you this. In a wide-open college football, so this was a team coming into the year, I think me like everybody else, well, they're going to take a step back. They won the Big Ten last year. It was historic. Everything broke right. Got Ohio State at home. Ohio State, you know, the, uh, whatever. Ohio State's defense was down, this, that. The other thing, everything broke right. Now you lose Aiden Hutchinson, number two overall pick to the Detroit Lions. Now you lose Dax Hill, uh, first-round pick uh, in the NFL draft at safety. You lose David Ajabo, an elite edge rusher. You lose so much. Hassan Haskins, who's getting minutes for the Tennessee Titans and carries for the Tennessee Titans. There is no way you can replicate what you did last year. It was a good season, Michigan. Hope you had fun, but uh, uh, it ain't going to happen again. Well, Fast forward to seven games into the 2022 season, and here's my question. Why isn't Michigan able to do everything they did last year and more? I think this team can beat Ohio State. I think this team can win the Big Ten. I think this team can go to the college football playoff, and I think they could potentially win a game or two there. I know you think I'm crazy, but let me explain why. First of all, what I can definitively say, I don't know if Michigan is better than last year, but I do think it's important to know they are playing with more confidence because if you go back to last year with Michigan, I think it's easy to forget this now. I think we were all doubting Michigan all season long. Remember, they were coming off that disastrous COVID year, two and four overall. We were all doubting Michigan all season long. We were all questioning if it was going to work, if it could work. And I think even in that locker room, they were questioning it themselves. This was not a team that was steamrolling everybody the way they are this year. Remember last year, Two uh, three-point win at Nebraska. They actually played Wisconsin early in the year. That game was going into the fourth quarter very close. They blew it openly. But three-point win at Nebraska. Loss at Michigan State. And then when they played the same Penn State team, they needed kind of a, a broken play. Lucky's not the right word, but they needed a broken play to punch home the game-winning score. They won by four at Penn State. So this was not a team that really gained confidence 
until they beat Ohio State. Then they obviously crushed Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, and they go to the college football playoff. This year, they're 7-0. and all seven, point, all seven wins are by double figures. The only one that was even sort of close was Iowa at Iowa. Great defense by Iowa, and they still won by 13. So one, they're certainly playing with more confidence. They're doing. They're just better at this point in the season than they were at this point last year. Two, I do think the quarterback matters, right? And I'll say this: Listen, I, I, you know, I don't think I've been critical of their new quarterback, JJ McCarthy. But remember, they've been trying to figure out: Okay, who's our guy? Is it the Cade McNamara guy who was the returning quarterback, or is it this young hotshot JJ McNamara or JJ McCarthy? And I had questions and I had debates, and and we still haven't really seen him have to take over a game. But what we have seen is. There are times where the play breaks down and he can make plays with his legs. I talked about all the rushing yards Michigan had the other day. He himself had 57 yards rushing. Basically, Penn State gave up 80 a game. This guy had almost 60 by himself and a couple big plays where he just made plays that nobody else could. And so you can see that he adds a dimension to this team. And what I would also say on top of that is I do think there's this notion of, you know, Michigan just isn't athletic enough and wait till they play the SEC. And listen, if they play Georgia, they could lose to Georgia again. I'm not going to sit here and lie and pretend and fake it. Georgia's really good. They make a lot of teams look bad. But I look at this Michigan team. I think they're the most athletic that they've been under Jim Harbaugh. Joel Klatt said that during the game. You look at some of the guys they got. Donovan Edwards, that running back, is awesome. He could play anywhere. Blake Corum could play anywhere. Uh, some of their wide receivers, Ronnie Bell, uh, you know, they could play anywhere. So, I think the quarterback play is different but better. I think the athleticism is better. But I still think at the end of the day, it comes down to, I just don't know who's going to stop them doing exactly what they do, at least in Big Ten play. Again, you get to a playoff, you play Georgia, you play Alabama, it might be a little bit different. Maybe even Clemson with the defensive front that they have. But you play those teams, it could get really, really, really ugly for just about everybody else. And I look at this Michigan schedule. Tell me who you're worried about as Michigan goes into their bye week. They're facing a Michigan State team on uh, two weeks from now. Michigan State themselves gets a bye. Michigan State's bad. Now, to their credit, they bounce back against Wisconsin on Saturday. And maybe Michigan State turned a corner there, but we've seen nothing to make us think that Michigan State is the team that's going to beat Michigan for a third straight year, which I do think is important. Michigan is not going to overlook Michigan State having lost to them two years in a row. Then Michigan plays Rutgers. They play Nebraska, which is improved. Those are their first three games after their bye. They should be 10-0 going into their final two. And you want to you hear something funny? You know who Michigan's toughest game is throughout the rest of the year? I would argue prior to Ohio State, it's probably they play Illinois. You talk about a game that looked like a layup in September. Illinois is 3-1, tied with Purdue, atop, or 6-1, or three and one in the big 10 West atop the big 10 West standings. Illinois is one of the best stories in college football. If it wasn't for Josh Heupel, Brett Bielema would be your national coach of the year. And then they play Ohio state and Ohio state's awesome. And Ohio state's incredible, but they do kind of have the blueprint to beat them. And until Ohio state can line up player for player and do what they couldn't do last year, I think there's going to be almost like the same way I said, Michigan had to gain confidence throughout the season. It's going to be kind of the same with Ohio state. I'm not saying that on a new, uh, you know, in Columbus, I would pick Michigan right now, but could you see the scenario where they win? And then if they get to the playoff and even, by the way, they can lose to Ohio state and the way things are going, they can still get to the playoff. I mean, Bama's one, one loss away from basically being eliminated. The PAC 12 is basically down to UCLA. Uh, the ACC is probably going to be Clemson. I don't think Georgia's unbeatable. I don't think Tennessee is unbeatable as good as they look right now. So, I think Michigan could get to the college football playoff even if they lose to Ohio State. But you look at this season, this thing is wide open. Same way we're talking about Tennessee maybe making a playoff run. Same way we're talking about Clemson. We were talking about USC up until last night. Why can't Michigan? Why can't Michigan get there? You don't think that this Georgia team that's not as good as last year they can't compete with? I'm not saying they beat them. I'm just saying you can't compete with them. Alabama, the team that has a million penalties if they get there? Tennessee, I don't know. So what I am saying is this. I don't know if this Michigan team is better. What I will tell you is they're playing with more confidence. I think they're more well-rounded. I like the quarterback. This team is dangerous, man. This team is dangerous. If I had a poll right now, I'll tell you, I would probably have Tennessee one. I'd probably have Ohio State two, and I'd probably have Michigan three after that game. It was a butt-kicking of epic proportions. I think the best is yet to come for Michigan. I think the best is yet to come for Jim Harbaugh. Really quickly, the other perspective of this game, listen, I'll say this. 
I've been a guy who through the years has very much defended James Frank. He's won 11 games three times. He's won the, uh, the, you know, the Big Ten East. He's won a Big Ten title. Why does he get the criticism that he does? And every time I say that, Penn State fans, I think, rightfully say to me, Torres, one, he's coming off two bad years, the COVID year, which I'll excuse. And I'll even excuse last year when they went seven and five, but four of their losses were by four points or less. And also, Sean Clifford, their starting quarterback, was hurt. But what everybody says about James Franklin, the big criticism, it's similar to Brian Kelly when he was at Notre Dame. It's similar to Jim Harbaugh prior to last year. What does James Franklin do in the big games? Well, we all remember now six years ago when they beat Ohio State, when Ohio State had Urban Meyer. That was 2016. This stat will blow you away. They are 0-10 against top 10 teams since 2016. And so I do understand a Penn State fan, right? It's kind of the Jimbo Fisher corollary. You're getting paid. James Franklin just got a $75 million extension. You're not getting paid to beat Rutgers and Maryland. You're getting paid to eventually beat Ohio State and Michigan. Now, if there is any positive from Saturday, and I I don't want to say positive because it sounds mean, but with this loss and Sean Clifford, your starting quarterback, gets hurt, uh, Drew Allaire, the number one quarterback in last year's high school class, got some reps late. And I do think there's a lot of Penn State fans that's like, okay, it's time to turn the program over to him. It's almost, again, the Texas A&M corollary of, okay, this season, it's probably not going to go the way that we think. It's time to start building towards 2022 when this kid will definitely be our quarterback. Sean Clifford will have graduated at that point. Um, and so if you're Penn State and you're looking for a silver lining, that's probably it. You have a star running back uh, in Nick Singleton as a freshman. You have a star quarterback, hopefully the quarterback you've been waiting for in Drew Allaire. And now it's kind of go time. But for the Penn State fans that have chirped at me, Torres, you give James Franklin too much credit. I'll tell you, you look awfully smart today and I look awfully dumb. Because this is the game. Listen, you don't have to win the game. You got to be a little bit more competitive than you were. I understand Penn State fans' frustration. All right, this is what I do want to do. Take a quick break. We'll come back. We will wrap with the rest of the Saturday college football slate. A little bit on USC losing to Utah. A little bit on my Illinois fighting Illini, Brett Bielema. How about that guy? Uh, We'll hit on some other odds and ends. How about TCU, by the way, undefeated in the Big 12? We'll take a quick break, hit on a few other things. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap with the rest of the Saturday slate in college football. And a couple things, by the way, I should mention. Um, there was some big college hoops news on Friday night. Aaron Bradshaw, top five prospect, committed to Kentucky. I just feel like that, you know, we can get to that on Tuesday. There's some DJ Wagner stuff to go along with it. We will hit on all of that on Tuesday's show. You have my word. Uh, But today, you know, I just think it's a football Monday. You know, we can talk about that on Tuesday. But why I bring it up is because I want to get back to football. And I want to kind of just hit on four or five other games that kind of happened throughout the day on Saturday. Let's get to some of them. First of all, Saturday night. Uh, USC at Utah, uh, USC was actually an underdog in this game, about a three and a half point underdog in the Betfred Sportsbook. And listen, Utah pulls out the win 43 to 42. Uh, They tie the game late. They go for two. I absolutely love it. Um, But after the game, nobody was really talking about Utah. Everybody was talking about USC and everybody was like, oh, this is proof. Lincoln Riley, he always chokes and he's overrated. And it's only because he brought a million guys with him from from Oklahoma. And this is who he is. And this is what he's about. Let me just say a couple things really quick. First of all, by definition, you can't choke if you lose by one and you're a three and a half point favorite. Okay, Vegas thought Utah was a field goal and change better than USC. And USC up until the final seconds of the game. And by the way, they, they got the ball back with a chance to win late. So don't tell me they choked. Don't tell me they didn't have enough. It's worth noting their star wide receiver, Jordan Addison, got hurt in this game. As I record, we don't have an update. Certainly hope that he is going to be okay. But just think about what we're talking about here. Go on the road, top 20 team, as a three and a half point underdog, you lose your best wide receiver. In year one, by the way, as head coach. And people are saying you choked. No, it's actually the exact opposite. This was an incredible, incredible, incredible effort from USC. And so credit to Utah for getting the win. But how about this from the USC perspective? They lose this game. Did you see what happened after? Utah's fans rushed the field. 
And I said, I tweeted it out and I got crushed as usual by Utah fans. But, uh, you know, you love Lincoln Riley, whatever. Here's the bottom line. Utah was a top 10 team in the preseason. Utah had playoff aspirations. And I understand things haven't gone quite as planned and they easily could have been Florida and all that good stuff. I only bring it up to say their fans rushed the field after beating USC seven games into the Lincoln Riley era. If anything, that's a positive. If anything, that actually shows you how far this program has come. Now, listen, we're going to find out in a couple of years if Lincoln Riley is just a brilliant play caller, if he can build a national title winning team, right? We're going to find all that out soon. We know what the shortcomings were at Oklahoma. We know that probably his best team at Oklahoma was not his last one when it was all his players. And we're going to find out. Can he develop a defense? Can he develop a defensive line? Can he develop an offensive line? Can he build a team that is good enough to win a title and ultimately compete with Georgia and Alabama and all those schools? But that's year two. That's year three. That's year four. And to me right now, what I see is a program that's ahead of schedule. I see a program, by the way, you talk about a 14 college football playoff, they can still make it. You look at the rest of their schedule. There is no Oregon on the schedule. There is no Washington on the schedule. They've already beaten pretty good teams, Oregon State, Washington State. And so you look at this team. This is a team, they're, they're going to have one really tough game left. That's UCLA. And that's at the Rose Bowl. It'll be a mostly UCLA crowd. But other than that, like they're going to at worst finish 10-2. and two. They could potentially finish 11-1. and one. And on top of everything else, keep this in mind as well. Remember, the top two teams in the Pac-12 go to play for the Pac-12 championship game. So they could get a rematch with Utah. And I'll tell you, on a neutral field in Vegas, I would take USC. Now, they got to get by UCLA. They would have to hope for some uh, you know, other losses along the way. Um, but if they get by USC, they'll be fine. Or UCLA, they'll be fine. And even if they don't, they go 10-2. They're probably going to be in the Pac-12 championship game. So I don't think you can sit here and say, oh, they choked, or oh, they're this, or oh, they're that. Typical Lincoln Riley. I think they're ahead of schedule. I think they look really good. They're really fun. I'm just bummed they're leaving for the Big Ten because for the first time in a long time, it feels like there is a program that is on the brink of something really special in the Pac-12. It's a shame that they're leaving. Really quickly, a couple other scores. You know, first of all, uh, from the SEC, let me say this. uh, LSU taking care of business against Florida in the swamp. I told you this was going to happen. Final score, 45 to 35 for LSU. I told you on Friday's show, everyone said, oh, you know, obviously Florida's the favorite. They should be favorite. I'm saying, no, LSU's the better team. LSU wins. LSU wins convincingly. And I'm telling you a few things. One, if you do not like Brian Kelly, I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be a tough couple of years, okay? This guy has LSU at five and two. One of their losses is to, frankly, maybe probably should be the number one team in the country. The other loss was to Florida State by one point in overtime. I mean, they're one you know, field goal away from potentially being six and one with their only loss to the number one team in the country in Tennessee or the team that should be number one in the country in Tennessee. This is year one, like Lincoln Riley, it's a rebuild. And obviously it goes without saying Brian Kelly is doing it in a much tougher situation. And remember, this was a team that went six and six last year. They're now five and two and they still got some winnable games left on the schedule. Now they got some tough ones too. They still got Bama. They still got Ole Miss at A&M is not going to be easy. But I think they're ahead of schedule under Brian Kelly, and I'm fascinated to see how they finish this one up. Won't be easy again uh, at Arkansas at AM with Ole Miss and Ark, uh, Ole Miss and Alabama at home. What I would also say is on the flip side, I told you Florida, it's 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 a it's a process. They're not even close right now. I mean, I I I knew they were in trouble when they barely beat Missouri a few weeks ago at home on a game. I don't even know if that was on TV. I couldn't find it anywhere, but. I think Florida, they're way behind Tennessee. They're definitely way behind Georgia. They're behind Kentucky right now. This is going to be a slow rebuild. LSU, they appear to be on the upward trajectory. I'm not sold on Florida. By the way, did you see Brian Kelly? The LSU released a little pregame speech from Brian Kelly. So Florida, they play Tom Petty's won't back down from the third quarter going into the fourth. And Brian Kelly said, I want you to learn all the words of this song, boys. Because we're going to go in there, and when we're beating them down, I want you to be singing along and having a good time with them. Well, guess what? Going into the fourth quarter, LSU was up uh, 35-21 to 21, uh, in a very comfortable control of that game. I didn't see if anybody actually sang it, but shout out LSU. 
Uh, a couple other quick games, news and notes. You know, Kentucky, I just mentioned we'll talk some Kentucky hoops on the next episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Tuesday. Listen, I give Kentucky credit. I thought Mississippi State was going to win, um, but Will Levis is a warrior. 17-23, 230 yards passing. Um, Chris Rodriguez was unbelievable in this game. Let me shout out Will Levis really quick, right? I, I think I've been a little critical of him. I think certainly when I look at, you know, him relative to the other elite NFL draft quarterbacks, I've been critical. This guy's a warrior, right? We talked about Bryce Young being a warrior earlier in the show. Well, what I would say about Will Levis is I saw a great post-game interview with him with my buddy Cole Kublick, friend of the Air Torres podcast, where Will Levis was asked about his injuries. And he's like, it's not an excuse. Every guy in that locker room right now is banged up. Everybody in the SEC is banged up right now. This is SEC football. I thought that showed so much maturity and so much leadership for this reason. What I saw Will Levis saying was, listen, I know I'm the quarterback. I know you guys go to me with all the questions. I know I get all the NIL money. And I know you guys are talking about me as a first-round pick. But I'm no different than the other 84 guys in that locker room. They're all dealing with stuff. I don't have an excuse just like they don't. Credit to them. Credit to Arkansas, by the way. Snapped a three-game losing streak, went on the road, beat BYU. Um, You know, listen, Arkansas is a weird deal, man, because, you know, you don't have K.J. Jefferson last week against Mississippi State. You have the one-point loss to – or the two-point loss to Texas A&M. But what I would also say – You go on the road, fly across country prior to a bye week. I think that sets up where like, oh man, they could lose this one to BYU. They take care of business. I give them credit for that. Interesting schedule coming up. They get at Auburn. As I record here, Brian Harson still has a job. Both teams will be coming off a bye. Hugh Freeze's Liberty team. Who knows? Maybe the next Auburn coach after Brian Harson. Then LSU will miss in Missouri to wrap up. Arkansas, listen, I don't think they're going nine and four like last year. But I think it's another successful year under Sam Pittman. And again, easily could have won, probably should have won the AM game. And then also Mississippi State is that different without KJ Jefferson. Really, really, really quick. Uh, some other stuff. You know, I just want to give credit, Brett Bielema, man. Speaking of Arkansas, their former coach, you know, listen, Brett Bielema is a punching bag on social media. I don't get why. I say it all the time. There's just some guys in sports. Jim Harbaugh's one, Brian Kelly's one, uh, and Brett Bielema's one. And it didn't work out in the SEC. And I think he went in too arrogant and too confident. But, I mean, he had some pretty good teams at Arkansas. This guy was not Chad Morris in terms of how bad he was. Well, how about Illinois being 6-1 and right now? They took care of Minnesota. They are currently alone atop the Big Ten West. Well, they're tied with Purdue, I should say, in the Big Ten West. Give them a ton of credit. Two other programs I want to give quick credit to. Syracuse. I don't know how they're doing it but they're 7-0. and You know, Syracuse is the only undefeated team in the ACC besides Clemson. So you look at Clemson's schedule. How about this? Clemson themselves improved to 7-0. and They also do, They all. you know who they play next week? Syracuse. They still have Notre Dame, Miami, and South Carolina on the schedule. Syracuse is the only ranked team left on Clemson's schedule. Shout out to Syracuse and shout out to TCU. Crazy game against Oklahoma State. It got overshadowed because frankly, it was on at the exact same time as the Tennessee-Alabama game. But to the credit of TCU, they were down 30-16 to going into the fourth quarter against Oklahoma State. They get the win. They rally. And as I record here right now, TCU is a top-10 team in year one under Sonny Dykes. They are 6-0. and They are the only undefeated team in the Big 12. Now, they got a tough schedule ahead. They got Kansas State at home next Saturday. They also have trips to Texas and to Baylor. But this is a great story. You talk about a team that could potentially slide into one of those New Year's Six Bowl games. TCU is it. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Before we get out of here, a couple quick announcements. One, if you're looking for more basketball, we will have some on Tuesday's show. So make sure to tune into that reaction to the Aaron Bradley, uh, DJ Wagner stuff, all the stuff that's percolating. Aaron Bradshaw has committed. DJ Wagner appears to be, to use a big word, on the precipice. And then from there, we'll keep rolling. I should also say, I hope you guys and girls like the new mic. Uh, It took a while, but we got something. uh, The sound is just so much better, guys and girls. I appreciate your patience. Um, We're trying to do this the right way, but we've had a lot of new things since the start of football season, going to YouTube, video editing, as well as the audio. And we're just trying to put out the best product that we can. So I appreciate your patience uh, with all that. With that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. I want to thank you for listening to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you're not subscribed, especially now that we got the audio fixed, make sure to do so. 
Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast questions at gmail.com, and our team-specific accounts are awesome. If you're a Vols fan, follow Torres on the Vols. Jackson did an incredible job with that. Matt Hunley, who runs the Auburn account, is incredible. Uh, The Arkansas account is humming. The Bama account is humming. You can find all of them. Torres on Indiana, Bama, Kentucky. Uh, They're all being run well. So if I've missed one, I'm sorry to you guys and girls who run them. You're doing incredible work. But I think with that said, it's time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. I'll be back on Tuesday. New episode, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Take care, everybody. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.